Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Clark. Welcome to it. How you doing, boys and girls and all those in between? Especially those of you who are questioning. Well, Mayor Pete is making clear he's very much gay, Mayor Pete. Somebody, I think, asked him, like, how gay are you? He's like, imagine the gayest thing you can. I'm that gay. It's pretty gay. Like, good for you, Buttigieg. You with a freaky last name. Your last name freaks me out more than your sexuality, Mayor Pete. Stop being mean to Mike Pence. He doesn't like your lifestyle, but he's been nothing but nice to you. Now that you're running for president, it's an easy target, though. Yeah. You're going to go after Pence? Well, I love kind of Pence and Pence's wife's response. Like, really? Pete, we know each other, man. Like, we've worked on projects together in the state of Indiana. Relax. <laughs> yeah, but that's just on the surface. You, you, you know Pence is probably... Talking mad smack behind his back. Uh, though I will say this, on a lot of these issues of morality and deeply held beliefs, there are some people who get a you know bent out of shape that you're you're an abomination or you're living in sin. Then yeah. there are people who will say that but be like, you know, free country. Like I mean, I've listened to a lot of Ben Shapiro lately, and he's like, you know, I'm an Orthodox Jew, and I disagree with what most of the world does. But free country and he's become more and more libertarian because he's like well i'm not gonna tell you what to do um and he said that's been a change in him i'm liking the trend towards like just general libertarianism you don't have to be like a anarcho-capitalist who reads murray rothbard and you know david friedman all right but like just generally you do you i'll do me and then we'll figure it out later yeah i think it's a good approach uh, it seems to be successful. Right, but, you know, that's not enough for people. It's like, no, you got to live the way I live. It's the only way we can have order here in this society of ours. Freedom. Yeah. <laughs> Freedom is license, you, you sissy. <sighs> so what a weekend. Yeah. Game of Thrones was epic. It was? Yeah, they've been really setting the table. And I was just telling you off air. We're going to see Avengers Endgame on Sunday. Yep. But it needs to be somewhat early in the afternoon because the battle for Winterfell against the army of the dead and the White Walkers and the Night King is Sunday night. It's going to be like an hour and a half, hour, 20-minute show. So I'm going to watch a three-hour movie. I just checked. Avengers Endgame is three hours and one minute. They'd go over the three-hour mark by one minute. Right. And then Game of Thrones is 80-something minutes long. So it's going to be, like, the most epic Sunday. But that's, like, a whole week away. Yeah. I also did check on, well, preparing. I watched a lot of Marvel movies on Saturday. Okay. I took out The Ragnarok. What else did we watch? Watch the, oh, Jonathan had never seen Winter Soldier. 
that's like the best one. Yeah, so we watch Winter Soldier, then we watch the next Captain America, Civil War, then right. we watch Ragnarok, and those three together, and then Infinity War, and I fell asleep halfway through Infinity War. That's what I get for starting it so late. But I was... I'm ready to go. I'm ready to see this in-game movie. Yeah, I I need to uh, rewatch some things. You could, no, you're welcome to come over when you have time off. We can did watch you uh, Did you see Into the Spider Verse? No, I've not. I've heard it's good though. I bought it. Oh, okay, it's really good. Yeah, come on, put it on the surround sound, the 4K TV. It's on my iPad. Oh well, I don't know if you I might be able to cast it. Yeah, but anyway, folks, it was a relaxing, good. Easter weekend. I enjoyed myself. I mean, I hated to see what happened in Sri Lanka. That was awful. Like, to turn, you know, I should check out the news a little bit. It is kind of my job. And then just see that. It's awful, as you said. Yeah. And hopefully it's not like ISIS or Al-Qaeda 2.0 is metastasized. I think the latest stuff I saw is they're thinking it's a local organization. The, the worry initially was that it was Islamic State fighters that had returned mm. to Sri Lanka. But it turns out it may be a, a sort of local group that had threatened it. And I think it was, it was like two weeks ago or maybe ten days ago, somebody received... Somebody high up in the intelligence offices over in Sri Lanka received a brief from another country. They didn't specify which country, but the brief was basically like, there's probably going to be an attack on Easter. And they yeah. reviewed the information that they had, and they said to everybody, supposedly, they said, there's going to be some attacks on Easter. Uh, we can't stop it because we don't know when they're happening or what's happening. Right. But imagine being told, if you were told there was going to be an attack at a church and you attended a church. You don't know which church it's going to happen. Right. Would you go? I would seriously consider not going. Yeah. I mean, knowing me, it'd be like, well, what happens, happens. And if this is part of my routine, and part of, like, you know, if I'm a very devout person, this is like, you know, the Super Bowl for Christians. I remember my uncle, the priest, talking to my uncle, the atheist Jew, at football Sundays. It was always an interesting conversation. So he's like, so the su- is Easter or Sunday like the Super Bowl for you? You got a lot of preparations? My uncle the priest wasn't offended. They just sit there and jabber back and forth. It was always good fun. Uh, I have a weird family in that way. A lot of different perspective. I think I'm better off for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, too. I, I think it's a good uh, mix. Protestant, Catholic, atheist, like, but the Jewish tradition... Um, he just, that particular uncle was raised without faith because his father was one of the few of his family who escaped the Holocaust. And some of the Jewish ethnicity or faith or tradition stopped going after all that happened. I actually have a difficult time reconciling that. It's tough. And I, I have barely even tried to put myself in those shoes and imagine what that was like. I mean, I've read the history, I understand the history a bit, but I can't imagine... Like, living it. No. Like, knowing family members who didn't survive that stuff. That's a whole other level. And I try not to pretend, but I also try, you know, don't forget. There's a lot we shouldn't forget these days. I mean, there's a lot going on where it's like, man, and I keep going back to this. Was the Cathedral Notre Dame burning down just a week ago? Yeah. Yeah. Some people are upset. You're talking about the, the Yellow Vest movement or whatever? Not necessarily the Yellow Vest movement. There are people upset over the fundraising for the Cathedral of Notre Dame. 
Yeah, that's the yellow vestment. That's the yellow vestment movement is yeah, upset yeah, about it? They're upset about that because it's like, oh, you'll get off your butts and you billionaires will donate money for a cathedral, but you won't get off your butts and fight climate change. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And it's like, well, well, if you look at the billionaires that are donating money to Notre Dame, they're 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 tax dodgers. And well, it's like, you know, it's like, why aren't you mad at them for if if you came out and said we're mad at you for not paying taxes, I would get that. Well, and also by fighting climate change, do they mean like investing in groundbreaking technologies and innovations? I think there are some billionaires doing that. Um, yeah. But I would also suggest this. This is how I'd respond to that: is building, rebuilding a historic, iconic cathedral is a much simpler task. Like, here's my money. Oh, what are you going to do with the money? Oh, very straightforward. You don't even have to be an architect or know how to do construction at all. It's like, oh, that's going to be built there. Pretty straightforward. I'm sure it's more complicated. That's why you specialize. We have people that know how to do that, engineers and architects and artists, all types of people. But say, fighting climate change, you're on, you're down with the cause. A bit more complicated. So people with money kind of go, what's is that going to work what's the return on this like i'm they're obviously not getting a financial return on the cathedral of notre dame but they can see it built yeah and see it see it built pretty quickly whereas climate change is like well how what do you mean by fighting climate change like do you want me to is this a technology thing or do you want me to fund some trees you want me to give money to the government like or to your nonprofit? like what do you want me to do exactly and I always find that interesting. It's like the war concept. Like, we defeated the Nazis. We went to the moon. We can beat poverty in America. It's like, you know, going to the moon, pretty tough. Defeat the Nazis, pretty tough. A lot of sacrifices had to be made. But it's pretty straightforward at the end of the day. Blow up their stuff and kill the bad guys. Take a rocket, put it on that thing in the, in the sky, in space. A couple more calculations. Yes, a bit more, but the end goal is very, like, even the biggest idiot can go, oh, yeah, there they are, walking on it. <laughs> are those wires they're using? <laughs> but it's pretty straightforward, whereas something like poverty is not. Right. Like, I mean, there it has happened. There's a great documentary called Poverty, Inc., where it goes into how these global nonprofits and government aid programs is, have been dumping billions of dollars into underdeveloped countries, places like in Africa. And it'll work for a little bit or it'll go to things that the people don't need at all. Like there's a huge, I think Vice News of all places covered this. There's this huge, beautiful sports and soccer complex in Haiti funded by the Clinton Foundation. And when they did interviews with the local Haitians, they're like, we don't use it. Like, I would like water, please. Clean water. Mm-hmm. So poverty's not simple. There are things like dig a well, give a clean water source. But poverty's more solved not with a bunch of money being thrown at certain things. It's more, what are your institutions and your cultural values? Cleanse are playing too much civilization. Hmm? They're playing too much civilization. Yeah. Yeah. They tried to go the cultural route. No. Should have gone the economic route. Or the science route. But the economic route in that game is a little too mercantilist for my liking. It's like, I want all the gold and I will be the victor. Uh, but no, it's basic institutions. Like, it makes sense. It's very tough to develop wealth in a place when, say, you've lived on a certain plot of land, built it up, built a farm, 
built a house to the best of your ability, and you've lived there for 50 years, maybe 100 years, two generations. If a bureaucrat without any check, any legal processes just come around and go, I want that, thank you, mine, I'm the title of your land, get off, which is what happens in places like Haiti. It's very difficult to develop wealth, and it's very difficult to get people to invest and build. Especially because it seems like investment, investing in certain countries, um, it ends up being like, here's $1 billion of investment. Of that $1 billion, you're going to get like $20 million that actually gets injected into what it was supposed to be injected into because everybody is scraping some off the top. Yes, very corrupt systems. Or, I mean, for instance, you find oil under your feet in the United States of America like people did in Texas you're going to be a millionaire and not a billionaire. It's like, yes, my property, there's oil there. I'll sell the rights, but I'm going to make a lot of money off this. There are places, say, in Africa, where there was oil under the people's feet. The government goes, we own that. Now we're going to make a deal with the Shell Oil Company, and we're going to give them the right to use it, and oh, we'll do like a village or economic development program for you people that the oil's actually under your feet. Like, no. And what you just described continues to happen. That money that's supposed to be for development doesn't ever show up. The government and the oil company make a boatload of money. And the people who actually, in my opinion, own the resource because they're living on the land where it exists, don't see hardly any of it. It's a terrible system. Just terrible. I think you'd like what Akon is doing. Akon? Yeah. You know the artist? And Young Jeezy? No, just Akon. Just Akon. Yeah, he's got a... uh sort of a non-profit that he runs that's called uh, Akon Lights Africa or something hmm. like that. Basically, uh, he goes around and teaches people how to use solar technology. Or well, that's rather, awesome. I think he pays people to teach people in Africa how to use solar tech. And he gives them the technology and he yeah. says, the sun can power your electronics. Here's how. Here's some solar panels. Go he, for it. Go for it, yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's fantastic. I say more the better. I I just get so tired of... I think politics poisons everything pretty much. Because mm-hmm. when I... For instance, climate change. I've brought this up before. But I try to, like, be charitable and, like, say there is a problem here. And then, say, my father starts yelling about Al Gore. In fact, if you are on, say, the left, or if you're just a scientist and you've examined the climate change problem, pumping too much CO2 into the atmosphere, it's going to be an issue. And you go to, into the political halls to discuss this point of view that you've only just been a climate scientist. You should be so angry at people like Al Gore. Because he's the guy who popularizes this idea, but then does it in this doomsday way in order to gin up political support. That a lot of the stuff he says is too exaggerated and not true. So it, maybe there's the basis of truth in the, in the argument, but when you say, well, this is going to be a problem in 10 years, and the problem doesn't manifest itself in 10 years, or not to the degree that you warned, there are a lot of people who, number one, are like, this seems like just a Trojan horse for you to control and do the things you wanted to do to the economy for decades before climate change, global warming was even an issue. Now you're making predictions. You still want to use those methods of government control to solve this so-called problem. And my point is it, it takes what is a lot of people think of as a scientific problem and takes it into the world of politics and economics. And a lot of times they're using, it's not so much the problem with the science. It's your means of solving the problem. 
which to me is like that's why I didn't like the Paris Climate Accord. I was like, they're like Jeffrey Immelt, who used to run GE, was like, well, after Trump pulled out, well, it looks like the private sector and nonprofit sector are going to have to take the lead on this. I'm like, yeah, Jeff, what what have you been waiting for? Oh, you've been waiting for somebody else to do it so you can exactly. soak the rents from the government. Yep. You wanted somebody else to subsidize you making money to solve so-called solve this problem. Yeah. And it's just the, the cronyism, all the corruption gets involved. It's kind of like solving poverty. So, I don't know. I see the point that some people say in the Yellow Vest movement might make. Oh, you're giving all this money to rebuild the Cathedral of Notre Dame. What are you doing on these big problems like poverty in the third world or climate change affecting the whole globe? But it, uh, on the one hand, it's like they're a billionaire. It's their money. They can do what they want with it. Man. On the other hand, it's like you're a billionaire. How do you not see that this could be a problem for you? Right. Well, a lot of them don't see it as a huge problem for them. Some do. Yeah, it makes me think of uh, altered carbon. Altered carbon? Yeah, it's a it's pretty hardcore sci-fi on uh, Netflix. Hmm, I've never seen it. You should definitely watch it. I think you would enjoy it. But it, there's a there's a class of people that are like super rich and they never die because you can just transfer your soul onto like a hard drive and they never die. They just get new bodies. Huh. But they're like super rich. Right. I don't know about that stuff. Like billionaire, today's billionaire territory times 100. Right, sure. Just they, you know, God kings, they don't even see the little people kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You might enjoy it. It could be good. That'd be, no, that could be good. It's a really good show. Okay. I'll check it out. And the second season's going to have Anthony Mackie in it. Very good. It's based on a, it's based on a bunch of books. I like Mackie. Very charismatic gentleman. I was thinking over the weekend. I'm going to change the subject here. All right. Do you ever look at what goes on in the Bible, particularly given that it was Easter Sunday, what happened during his crucifixion and subsequent death and resurrection? Do you ever think... Just look at it as if uh, it's it's a comedy. Like, jokes on you, Satan, sort no, of thing? No, no. As in, like, what is going on here? We tied this man, or we... we oh, we, jokes on the Romans. We nailed this man to a cross. Right. But do you think the Roman guard, if he was... I, I'm assuming at the time, polytheism was still huge, and they... You know, the influx of Christianity hadn't obviously hadn't occurred, otherwise Jesus wouldn't have died. But depending on what god the guard of that cave worshipped, mm. do you think he was like freaked out or was he like, oh, <laughs> happened again? <laughs> like, this is totally, because it's totally, it would be, it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility with some of the stories you hear with a polytheistic religion like Romans. Right, right, the Roman gods. Like, what if, if he was, like, a, a guy that was big into Dionysus? Right. Uh, was Dionysus Roman, or... It was Greek. So... And, and I'm not sure what the Roman counterpart with the Dionysus would be. The, uh, the dying god, for people who don't know. Uh, the forever dying god. Actually, a strange parallel to the passion of, of Christ. No, I don't ever... I, I mean, I've seen... I think the best comedy... That ever has been done, Bacchus. Bacchus, yes. The best comedy that's ever been done with that setting is probably Life of Brian, Monty Python. Yeah, they did a really good job with that. But I mean, if you look at the actual story, the Passion of the Christ, it's hard. I see what you're trying to do in the sense of like the. I mean, and this is what the the Roman soldiers and the Pharisees and all the authority they were so confident. It's like you're saying these things. You're saying you're the Messiah, like. Oh, prophesize who's going to hit you next, Messiah. Like, 
you know, the whole mockery, the inscription over the cross, the king of the Jews. I mean, it was all them just mocking this guy. I mean, and if you look at the story itself from, obviously, Jesus' perspective, it's like the ultimate tragedy. Like, right. and even from, like, looking at the way people were behaving, forgive the Father, they, they don't know what they do. Like, it's, these folks are, I'm trying to help you in a weird way. I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to be the ultimate sacrifice. You don't have to keep doing all this stuff. I mean, I heard, it was an interview, it was uh, Ben Shapiro talking to a pastor called John MacArthur, and he said, for all intents and purposes, priests, for like the old Jewish religion, were butchers. <laughs> like, you're constantly, here's a goat, here's a dove, like, here's a lamb. Like, you're just constantly, you're up to your just knees and blind. <laughs> yeah. So, in a way, it's, it definitely is an improvement. No, I have, I've thought about it. I've started reading my Bible more. And really think about the meaning of those stories in a in a deep way, and I do at times like to think if you just take a purely shallow look at it, right? Like Pontius Pilate was the first existentialist. He's like, is this is he guilty? Well, what is if, guilt? If yeah. it occurred today, the only person who would believe that Jesus ascended into heaven would be Mary, because she would have been the only person that had something similar happen to her. Hmm. She had a kid. Yeah. When she was still right. right, so she spent her entire life having this thing. If it happened today, why well, then no one would believe her? Like, yeah, sure, okay, yeah, you totally had sex. Well, and honestly, and then though, Jesus floats up into heaven. Right, it just floats, not ascends. Like, yes, yeah. I mean, ascends. Yeah, come on. Right. Well, but like, here's like the... Red Bull gives you wings. It's Jesus doing that, and Mary would be like, "I told you so." All right, I've been saying it this entire time, y'all. <laughs> right. Nobody believed me, but it's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. Uh, but it's interesting you bring up, like, people who who didn't believe. If you look at most of the heroes throughout the biblical stories, the constant theme is they don't want to do, they don't want to have anything to do with this. Stop calling me God, whether it's Moses or it's uh, St. Paul. Like, they don't want, no, I don't, St. Paul in particular, I don't like the Christians. It's like, nope, you are, uh, you're going to go spread the word whether you like it or not. It's usually the person that doesn't want the call, doesn't want the hero's journey, doesn't want the power that ends up with it. And that's a, it's a good constant theme, actually. It's like, I, I don't want to do this, but I reluctantly will because it seems like the right thing. Um, and maybe that's probably the best way to come to faith. Like, instead of, you know, I had thought when we were, I was looking at the what happened in Sri Lanka is that you know, it's an old saying, in the normal moral universe, the good will do good, the bad will do bad, and the line is, but you need this thing in order for the good to do bad. And in, in Christopher Hitchens, you say you need religion for the good to do bad, or people could say you need politics for the good to do bad. But I've started to think you need sort of a slavish, zealous devotion to a particular ideology, to where you trick yourself into thinking I'm doing good when you're really doing evil. So it could be a religious ideology, it could be a political ideology, it could be like the guy who shot up mosque in New Zealand, that you get so devoted to whatever it is, you've, you've boiled down the truth, and you've figured out the truth. And by the way, I just shared the meme today, because yesterday was the third year anniversary of Prince's death, somebody sh shared a picture, a meme, and I had to share this meme, it's Prince sucking on a lollipop, and it says, sorry terrorists, there are no more virgins in heaven. Wow. So you can stop with your martyrdom if you're th expecting 72 virgins. Not happening. Prince is up there. 
My, I guess one thing that I struggle with regarding any sort of terrorism between Abrahamic, Abrahamic, yeah, the Abrahamic religions is how they can all have the same God and yet, in the name of that God, kill one another. Well, if you look at, I can understand maybe in Sri Lanka in particular back in what it's been 10 years these people had relative peace mm-hmm. right well and Since it used 2009 to be... they had the civil war it was between the buddhists and uh, hindus yes right so i can understand a beef between something like hindus and buddhists or hindus and christians or buddhists and muslims i can understand that but what's hard for me to understand is how a group of christians and a group of muslims can hate each other so much that they would be willing to kill each other. Well, I think we... In the name of God. We modern Americans, or people of the West, I think we take for granted how new, in the larger sense of history, how new the idea of freedom of religion and religious tolerance is. I mean, and it wasn't like it was all hunky-dory in this country. I mean, the, the bad blood between different Christian denominations has shown up plenty. Right. Um, like the whole idea when JFK is elected, he's going to be taking orders from the Pope. I mean, that was a real concern and a real thought in modern politics not that long ago. Kind of makes sense, though, because uh, the, the the Petrine throne <laughs> has had its hand in politics for a very long oh, time. Oh, sure. Uh, no, and Although I, back when JFK was president, it wasn't as influential as it used to be. Well, and... I look at the you know the faith I was raised in Roman Catholicism, and I look at the hierarchy, the governing structure, and I just see I I have a, there's a Protestant streak in me. Like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Wait, and you kept the Bible in a language most people couldn't read on purpose for how long? Yeah. Like, it just seems way too uh, convenient. <laughs> the, well, no, and issues, it reminds me of Jesus talking to the Pharisees. The like, issues that Martin Luther brought up, I think, is it, nowadays if. A modern Catholic were to look at it, they would be like, eh, you kind, of, kind of got a point. Well, but we take for granted so much, and it's a good thing. It's nice that we don't have to think about it too hard, right? But that freedom of religion, that space for tolerance, and it's fascinating. The largest growing, when you ask people what's your spirituality, what's your faith, the largest growing group is the non-affiliated. Now, only about three percent of that group is atheist agnostic. Most of it are people who are believers in some faith, usually Christianity in this country. Right. But they don't go to a particular denomination or they don't go to a particular church. Yeah. And it, I think it says something, number one, that has nothing to do with religion. I think a lot of people, myself included, are kind of looking at modern life and you just pull back. Like, I'm going to do my thing quietly and go home. I'm going to relax. Like, so why would I go to this church when it's full of sinners and hypocrites? Which is actually the kind of the whole point. If you talk to a believing Christian, the point is we're all sinners and we did the best we can. I, but, I'm firmly in the Pascal's Wager. Oh, right. That's the group I'm in, Pascal's Wager. Right. <laughs> if there if there is a God, um, you, you should believe in him. And if there isn't one, what, hurt, what does it hurt you to believe in him? Right. So to speak. I don't know. I... That's, I, that's really the answer, though. I don't know. I don't. I don't like that. Uh, it, to be blunt with you, like you can believe what you want, but uh, I find it in a in a weird way. It's almost like it's too cheeky. It's too like. Mm, well, I was just believing you as a form of insurance, God. Yeah. Yeah. See, I I don't know if I I think of it that way. Well, okay. So 
You see what I mean? Like, what's take wrong? somebody who's really faithful. What's wrong with compared admitting to the that? insurance? No, nothing wrong with admitting it. I'm all for open conversation and questioning on it. Right. Just saying, there's a difference between an insurance plan versus like the the person who's. I'm going to believe this whether or not it it's true. Yeah, but I'm not going to. You know, I, I'm safe. Right. Right. I'm not gonna, I, not safe in like heaven and hell kind of thing. I'm safe in that. I'm not going to go out and murder anybody right. for my my beliefs. Well, and that's the thing. Uh, it's the famous point of Dostoevsky in his novels, especially Crime and Punishment, is even the most ardent atheist these days acts like God exists. And this is what I was getting at with the good will do the good in the moral universe. The bad will do the bad. There's always been people that are more inclined to do good things, be more compassionate, more considerate, and more innovative, just productive in general. Good human beings, they had to work at it and work against their bad urges, but the good will do the good, bad will do the bad. But if you want good people or people who think they're doing good to do really bad things, you need a sort of slavish devotion to a particular ideology. And it could be political. It could be religious. It could be a weird personal belief that people would, develop. Would it not then, in essence, be Jungian? Um, Since your God is what is most important? Yeah, I mean, I think... So, yeah. what you would need It'd is... It would be your ideology. You would need something of the most importance. To, so, mm -hmm. it, I mean... It's, in a way, it would be, I'm right, is kind of your God. Right. I, and I don't think it's the right approach. I think there needs to be balance. You need to understand... In many ways, you're prone to a lot of wickedness, even if you're right on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. There's a way of going about it that could be really terrible. Like, the ends do not justify the means. Right. Um, and it's just a, it's a tough conversation to have with people, though, that are in the throes of, like, ideological possession or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it's I hard mean, to get somebody to wake up out of that. Obviously, my beliefs are a lot more complicated than just boiling it down to Pascal's wager. Obviously, yeah. But it just seems if I'm going to get thrown into a category, since I'm sort of in flux, so to speak, yeah. then Pascal's wager seems to be the most broad and easily definable place that you could put someone such as myself, who's not affiliated with the religion yet believes in God. Right, you're in that non-affiliated camp, so am I. And for those out there who might be a little older, who have gone back to church, remember when you were 30. You're 30, right? Jesus. I'm 30. It's a process. You search. You figure it out. I mean, I've known a lot of people that say when you... It does you, seem... When to, you have children, you'll wake up to it. You know, right. those sort of things. That does seem like to be... That does seem to me like when Pascal's wager really gets sprinkled into your life. Sure. When you have children. Do I put them in the church? I should. Shouldn't well, I? I'll, I'll put it this way. If, if the day I realize I'm going to have a child... Like I'll think I'll decide it right now. Like yes, I want to teach them the Bible. It, like how intellectually impoverished would somebody be if they don't know the Bible? Like they don't really know it. I, At least I mean it doesn't even have to be like you're a, a biblical scholar. But, but at the some basic point, stories of our civilization, it's probably good to know these things. At some point, something needs to happen. Like that happened to us when we were in high school. Is someone needs to say. These aren't real. Mm. These are just suggestions that have been used to teach people how to live their lives. And then someone also needs to say, these are metaphorical stories. They're not real. Because I, so many people I see quoting the Bible today as if that's still a way to live life mm. is like, 
See, but I think you that's need... How, that's how you get... I think you need that third camp. I that's think how you get Sharia you, law. I suppose. There can be too much dogmatism, I agree. Yes. And too much dogmatism to the point that you're a slavish zealot and you're willing to kill people. But... I think there also is room for, you go through that phase of being skeptical. This is metaphor. This is useful metaphor. This is an allegory in some way, um, which is even like raised Roman Catholic. That's how they view Adam and Eve. It's more allegory than a literal first man situation. Exactly. We don't necessarily know. But there are certain things that people take as gospel. And I think after you go through that skeptical phase, or this is useful metaphor phase, it's good to come back around and meet those people who say, no, this is how it is. Not in a dogmatic way, but like, I genuinely believe this. Like, I believe Jesus is the Son of Man who died for my sins and gave me salvation. I think it's good to talk to folks like that because it, it reminds you of the point of it. it. The point of it isn't. And this is maybe why religion has receded in a big way. It's actually what uh, Nietzsche talked about. When he says God is dead and we have killed him, his point is you've abstracted the story. You've abstracted your belief so much into just a set of rules or suggestion or metaphor that it doesn't mean anything to people anymore. It doesn't give them force and motive power in their life. What have you done, you idiots? And in a way, especially in the case of Germany, he was very, very right. When it faded away in Germany, what, what took its place? The government, the state. In particular, whether it was the Kaiser or Hitler. They still had enough juice to use that, though. Mm. They still used religion in, oh, that, in a context they used it. of power. Oh, they, well, Hitler was had all the old pagan blood myths of Germany. And, yeah, they, oh, they would, use, they would use the system. It still got juice. It still yeah. plays. Oh, yeah. But, uh, hmm. I don't know. I'm I'm going through a journey in a way. Yeah. Like I really have started to open up my Bible again. I've started to try to understand not only the meaning in the stories, but like, is there something to this? Like revisit it. I could easily be wrong in like my skepticism, so to speak. And right. I, I think especially, you know, seeing an Easter another Easter come and go, another celebration come and go, and then seeing like what's in the news in Sri Lanka, it's like, okay. What are if if you stand too aloof from that stuff, you're never going to understand number one why people would even kill for these things. But I think more importantly, why people say like the biggest growing population of Christians in the world, I believe, is in China, and they're being cracked down on heavily. What would drive somebody to be a martyr in a country that's grading you on your social credit score and? is officially atheistic and willing to enforce it by law at the point of a gun and not give you due process in the way that we have due process here. I think there's something very inspiring and important that I should remember, at least try to remember and try to understand. I don't know if it'll work over there, though, because all they have to do is look at their Muslim brothers and sisters who are being oh, absolutely wiped out Yeah, the in Uyghur China. Muslims, yeah. So yeah. they have that as an example of what happens if you try and stand up. Well, and you said earlier the common Abrahamic, you know, core. If you look at Islam, it does it is from that tradition in a way, but their understanding of God, Allah, is like very literal monotheism. It's not the same thing as it's certainly not like the Trinity in Christianity, and in Judaism, it's it's not the same sort of God. It's a little bit different manifestation of it well they have so the greatest violence 
that occurs to Muslims is by other Muslims, and it's yes. the two main sects, Shia and Sunni. Which is really a clerical it, error. It, I like that. That's a great pun. Yeah, it's a political disagreement, right? Well, it's, it's a succession yeah. disagreement. Yeah. So, in political, yes, but that's what it boils down to. But It's amazing that there the, have been a thousand years of wars over a succession argument. The, the perfect answer, you're right, is clerical error. I mean, that is... That is perfect. We're way too far past this. I still want to touch on what's going on with the ultimate political Rorschach test, the Butler Report. Ah. It's so juicy. We'll talk about it a little bit after the break. I didn't expect to talk religion and faith on a Monday right after Easter, but you know what? It's Easter Monday. This is when good discussions should be had, and hope people understand we're journeying. We're, we're on a journey. Yeah. We're searching. We're trying to understand this crazy world as it changes quickly. And uh, who knows? You might find me in a pew next year some Sunday or Wednesday night. Who knows? Who knows? Joey Clark. Infinity War analogy for where we are practically speaking with Donald Trump, the Mueller report, what the Democrats want to do. Okay. There's a scene after Thanos essentially holds his daughter, his adopted daughter, captive because she knows where one of the Infinity Stones, the Soul Stone is. And so he kidnaps her, takes her, and they're having a conversation. And Thanos is laying out his crazy theory that the problem with the universe, just like it was on my planet, is overpopulated. So I need to kill half the population with the snap of my fingers. And Gamora, his daughter, says back to him, You don't know that. Which, I mean, she could have made a great argument. You have, you could make more resources. You have the Infinity Gauntlet. You can do whatever you want. But no, she's like, you don't know that. And he kind of gets exacerbated. And goes, I'm the only one who knows that. But more importantly than what Thanos claims to know, the problem is overpopulation in the universe. He says, but I'm the only one with the will to do something about it. So the reason I bring this up, whatever you know or you don't know, whether you're a Democrat or Republican or Donald Trump or Robert Mueller or Jerry Nadler or Adam Schiff, do you have the will to carry out what you think you know? So right now, at the end of the day, Democrats, do you have the will to impeach the president? I don't, I don't think so. No. And even the most ardent people that are trying to get Trump, hang Trump on this report, now not so much the Russian conspiracy or collusion, but on obstruction. Even people like Schiff and Nadler, they'll kind of talk out of both sides of their mouth. They're like, yeah, this is impeachable, but, well, we got to look into it. Like, the first press conference Jerry Nadler gave that Thursday after the report came out, a reporter asked him, is this a roadmap to impeachment? Nadler's just 
emotional response was <sighs> he sighed and took a beat. He goes, "Well, we're looking into that." So I mean, they got they got they got to subpoena the full thing, don't they? They'll try. I, they, the only way you can get grand jury, well, Barr is making available all the stuff that's redacted for classified intelligence levels. That's available to Congress now. They can go and see all those redactions. So is it basically just leveled to uh, the House Intelligence Committee or the yeah. the, inte- the yeah. various intelligence committees of Congress? Yes, but the stuff that they will need a court order for is underlying grand jury testimony and ongoing court cases. So like Roger the, Stone, the sealed indictments. Sealed indictments and like a lot of the stuff is just Roger Stone's case is still being adjudicated. We are not going to show you stuff that's currently in court. Or grand jury is always like, no, we do not show grand jury information. Because a lot of people come in and say stuff who have do not want their names in the press. I mean, this is a pretty good practice. Right. And so the only way you get that stuff is a judge orders it unsealed, which I'm sure they'll try for. I mean, the thing they subpoenaed today and asked to testify is Don McGahn. So they're looking into the incident of the president saying, "Get rid of, call Jeff Sessions and get rid of Mueller. And McGahn threatened to resign, so he didn't do it. And I mean, I made the analogy of, like, your friend is drunk. Saying, I can drive. I can drive. I was going to the car and you steal their keys. I'm like, did they drive drunk? No. They're not going to be prosecuted for it. They could have been if he hadn't stolen the keys. And in some instances, I think Trump was saved by his staff. Though it, I think the Mueller report makes that pretty clear. Well, the Mueller report makes so many things clear. It makes so much clear. Like, you can read it as a great history of what our media reports have been. Like, you can go to Carter Page and Papadopoulos and Paul Manafort and, like, that whole initial section of the Russian conspiracy collusion section. And you can tie that into what media reports came out during the time, and it's weird how those track together. You can look at it as, and we were talking about this on off air, but, I mean, the best way to say this, and I'll let the president say it for himself. I am what I am. I am what I am. A lot of what people suspected Trump to be, he is. Is it criminal? Doesn't seem that way. There will be weird legal arguments over what constitutes obstruction, which I'll leave to the lawyers. Practically speaking, he's not going to get charged with anything. He's not going to be criminally charged with anything, Right. practically speaking. Because he's a sitting president. That's a big part of it. If he wasn't the president... So many people would have that will that you were talking about to go after him. I think they would, but even then, it'd be not being as soon as he's not president. Well, I mean, they're going they're going after the Trump Trump, Foundation. Yeah, but Trump knows that Trump will just pardon himself and all those characters on his way out of office. Like, I mean, this is the power of the presidency. It's true, but if it's almost if you talk about looking at things like a comedy, I look at this as incredibly funny because I. I've never thought Trump is, like, what have people said? His actions shown by the Mueller report are immoral and corrupt. Like, he's telling, like, the whole thing when the Don Jr. meeting with Natalia Veselnitskaya comes out in the press. And Trump's on Air Force One directing a statement. And like, oh, no, take that out, Don. Take that out. We don't need to tell the people that. And then the staff repeat it. And then he had the staff lie about him being involved in the press statement. But, and yeah, he, he told them to lie to the American people in the press. He had very temperamental outbursts to like, Mueller's doing what? Or no, my favorite is 
him sitting to dinner with Chris Christie. Are you still friends with James Comey? <laughs> Christie's like, yeah. Like, could you call him and tell him he's such a good friend, and I'm so happy to have him on the team? And apparently Christie, and he reiterated that like two or three times to Christie. And Christie tells the special counsel in the interview about this dinner. It's like, I thought it was the stupidest idea ever. I wasn't making that call. So there's all sorts of stuff. But here's the thing. Trump is who he is. Trump is, as he would say. I am what I am. I am what I am. This essentially real estate tycoon, you know, minor celebrity gets into office and gets into power. He's used to, again, cracking skulls, doing what he wants in the real estate industry. He runs his own business. He's still behaving that way when he gets into office. He doesn't know how Washington, D.C. works. And now, as he puts it, this is the end of my presidency. I'm, I'm forked. I'm fudged. I'm effed. Because the people tell me these things last for years and you can't do anything and blah, 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 blah. So he's first thing in the office, he's got this in his lap. He doesn't think it's true. He's like, I didn't go with the Russians. I didn't. And so he's just pissed. So if you look at his behavior, this is the thing. A lot of the stuff that it's in the Mueller report, he said on national TV. Yeah. It's a witch hunt. Like... And it's a weird needle he was trying to thread. He's like, I know it's not true, but these people are telling everybody it's true. How do I tell them the people and these people, they're full of crap and not look guilty at the same time? <laughs> like it's and it's almost comical. And if you notice, most of the, the 10 or 11 instances of potential obstruction, they're all in that first month or two. And then once he kind of gets the staff like reins him in, like you can't do this, Mr. President, once he kind of gets settled. All that stuff goes away, and he starts to cooperate. And, I mean, his whoever his lawyer, John Dowd, I saw Dowd talking today. And so, for instance, the Democrats will subpoena Don McGahn, the White House counsel, who said Trump wanted me to fire Robert Mueller. Even John Dowd, the president's lawyers are going to say, well, that's not true. And what they'll use as their defense is Trump is all over the place. He's mercurial. He'll get pissed at one thing. I mean... He says, he calls up Don again. you need to, this is just, just, this isn't true. Tell Jeff Sessions to fire Mueller, or, no, he, no, I think the exact thing is, he has, con he's conflicted, he has conflicts of interest. He, he just, he can't be special counsel. And then McGahn doesn't do anything, and Trump drops it. So it's like, yeah, which, actually, if the defense is, he's Trump. He doesn't know what he's doing in Washington, so to speak. He has mood swings. He gets upset. He thought he was a wrongfully accused man. The, the guy named John Solomon wrote in The Hill last week. He said, uh, innocent man's defense can look like a guilty man's obstruction. And it, to me, that seems the most plausible. If it had not been for his staff, though, I think he would have been in a lot of, lot of trouble. Yes. Though even Giuliani and his team will make the argument. You and Alan Dershowitz of all people, which I respect because he was a Hillary supporter and pretty brilliant guy. Everything he predicted has come true. What Dershowitz predicted, uh, he said that no, you can't, you can't even get him on obstruction for things that are his presidential authority. So like he had every right, constitutionally speaking, to fire Mueller. He said the only remedy for a sitting president is impeachment. Now, it comes back to what I started the segment with. Do you have the will to carry out what you know or think you know, Democrats? Obviously, you don't. There so, was there was a moment after the Mueller report came out where 
all of the Democrats got hush-hush on impeachment. They were like, well, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. And now it's starting to bubble up again. You've got uh, Senator Cummins... Yeah, he's uh he's starting to or Representative Elijah coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Representative, he's Cummings. uh you, you've got the the pot's back on the kettle. Mm. Wait, that's the, where's the cat in the kettle? The, the, there is water on a heating element in some sort of storage container that is being heated. That water represents impeachment. That's how I explain my metaphor. When the cow jumped over the moon, right. Right. It's starting to bubble back up again, but uh they'll try. Pelosi as soon as it came out was like, actually we're going to take impeach. She she really yeah, <laughs> she, so she really hey, backed hey, off people. Well, and because I mean, I was reminded of this listening to an interview with Gingrich. The Ken Starr report on Clinton didn't just say, well, maybe something wrong. He like Clinton lied here. He committed perjury here. He obstructed justice here, here, here and here. He should be prosecuted, but he's a sitting president. The Republicans impeach him in the house. He doesn't, nothing happens in the Senate. And the Republicans have pie all over their face for doing it. They go too far. And I think Pelosi knows that sort of thing. The politics wouldn't look good. I think the loudest people that we'll hear are the ones who have the most to gain politically from being loud. Yes. And, the, you know, that's, yes. that's obviously that's going to be how it's supposed to work. We get that guy who's been playing like out. Swalwell from California who's running for president just to get his name out there. Just like it's advantageous for. Buttigieg to yeah. jab Pence. Pence. Right. It's good for the base. And this is the thing. When I saw people go, Trump's behavior is, was immoral, corrupt, dishonest. I'm like, are you describing Trump, which sounds like you are, but are you describing politics? Like, here's yeah. the thing for like, me. Yeah. I voted for the man. Mm-hmm. I expect better. Right. And you have every right to expect His better. behavior throughout this entire process even though it might be an innocent man looking guilty i am what i am precisely i am what i am he's had some moments where his behavior is just it's downright shocking yeah. and it, it out of the Mueller report it, it comes down to the same thing for me it's the same sort of indictment that i had when hillary got busted being dumb yeah i expected him to be smarter yeah and he might not have done anything wrong the Mueller report seems to indicate that. Other yeah, than no collusion, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Other than the whole, he's not being charged with obstruction because his underlings didn't listen to him. Right. What comes out of the Mueller report is this for me, Donald. You goofed. <laughs> you goofed in a way it doesn't. None of this looks good. It it all looks very bad. Well. And, you know, I'm the guy who said, I, 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 I don't think he's a war hero. I like my war heroes who aren't captured. Yeah. I mean, Trump he, is he's, this... He's lost my vote. A lot of people... Not that it matters. I mean, Trump, essentially... I think a lot of people who voted for him understood who he was. And they... But you and, think when someone rises to the office of the presidency of the United States, that they might elevate their character I'm shaking bit. my head no on that one, folks who can't see. I, I, I think it gets worse when you get in office. You saw it, it with worse. Obama. I think it gets worse. Now you see it with... You saw it with Bush. Yeah, I, I think in every example you're giving, recent presidents, past presidents... You know who the best presidents are? I think it are? gets worse. The best presidents are ex-presidents. <laughs> yeah, they've been through it. They know what it's like to look be at, in a pressure Look cooker. at Jimmy Carter. He was an awful president, but now he does great things. Bush, he paints. Right. What's Donnie going to do? Well, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, they're not going to impeach. 
So I guess it comes down to 2020. I don't know. We'll see. So out of your I think clown it'll... car of 20 candidates running for president, because Biden will announce soon. Oh, you think he's going to do it? Yeah, it'll be, and that'll make it 20 people running. Well, as soon as Biden announces, then everybody else is going to cannibalize themselves on the left. 